Friends, have you noticed that our culture does not take temptations seriously? How do I know that? Uh, this past week, I googled the word temptation and tried to find um, how that word is used uh, in our culture. And it's found in all sort of, and used in all sort of creative ways. Um, did you know that, and I did not know this until this week, did you know that there was a, uh, a singing band, a group in the 1960s called The Temptations? Wow! Why would you give yourself the name The Temptations? There is even a movie made on them that came up in the late 90s, I think. It, I think it speaks to the spirit of the age, doesn't it? Uh, here's another one. Did you know that there is, ladies, did you know that there is a cookware set labeled and branded by the name The Temptations? Interesting. Ladies, and actually gentlemen as well, did you know that there's a chocolate bar called the Magnum Temptation. And I'm sure if you, could go, if you, could, if you have time to, to, to look on the 20th page of Google, you would find how else the name and the title and the word temptation is being used in our culture. So loosely, so creatively, if you will. Well, this morning we will look and consider the theme of temptation through genuine faith. The book of James, we will look at the, the way Scripture speaks about temptation. And uh, we will find this passage on page number 1011, 1011. If you did not bring your Bibles with you, I encourage you to find the Bible provided in the chair in front of you on page number 1011. As we read, as we continue our sermon series from the book of James, chapter 1, uh, verses 13 to 18. Here is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, going down, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise Your name that You reveal to us the truth about who we are, the truth about our temptations and the resources you give us to face them. Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would speak to us through your Word, 
Speak to our hearts, we pray. Draw us near to you. Cleanse us from within through the very proclamation of your word. We pray this in the name of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, the passage we just read has some great uh, connections with the passages we covered the last two Sundays on trials. The Greek word for the, for the word trial is the same word for the word temptation. Did you know that? The same word in the original language for trial also is used for temptation. Look at verse 12, the passage we read last week. Um, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he had stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God had promised to those who love him. The same word is, is used in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, ver- meet trials of various kinds. The same word used as in verse 13 for now, translated as temptation. Now, is there any connection between these two themes of trials and temptations? Well, there is. Well, there is. Often, when we go through trials, we are not just go- going through difficulty, we are also going through a time in which we are tempted to respond in a sinful way to our trials. We might be tempted to doubt the love of God. We might allow bitterness to grow in our hearts when we see f- trials hitting us. Uh, when others cause us difficulties, it's easy to r- allow resentment to fester inside of us. Or it's easy to turn our backs to God um, and stop paying attention to Him, stop praying, stop reading His Word, stop gathering regularly with His people to worship Him. Trials, dear friends, are times when we are tempted to sin. It's true that God sends trials our way. God sends trials to test our faith, to give us an opportunity to build our endurance in the faith. But God never tempts us. When God tests us, He tests us to reveal our faith. He tests us to give us opportunities to grow in faith and to build perseverance in the faith. And that builds us into maturity, as we've seen the last two weeks. But temptations, their aim is different. Their aim is is the opposite. Its aim is to lead us to turn our backs on God. It aims to make us rebel against God, to disobey His words, to disregard His instructions. So after teaching us about trials, James now moves his attention to helping us understand how to think about temptation through the eyes of faith. If trials aim to make us persevere and grow us in the faith, temptations aim to turn our back away from God and to move us to rebel against Him. Friends, as long as we will live on this earth, as long as we will breathe, 
one thing you can be sure about. It's not about paying taxes, although that's true. And it's coming, if you haven't done it so. There's something else you can be sure of if you're breathing on this planet. You will be tempted. Until the moment we die, we are going to experience temptations, especially and especially if you're the child of God. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to worry about it. Because you're, you live in sin, you live for sin, and you are guilty of the, of, the, of the payment for sin, of the penalty for sin. You're enslaved to sin. You're not led into temptation because you're in it already. But if you're a child of God, if God has taken you out from the dominion of sin, if, you have, if He has broken the power of sin in your life, and you have parted way with sin... You have taken a different path, the path of God, the path of righteousness. If you are traveling on that path, you will be tempted to go back. You will be tempted to turn away, to turn your back against this God to whom, whom has saved you. So friends, realize that we will face temptation until the very day God calls us to be with Him. Sadly, we don't pay enough attention to how we should deal with temptation. When someone wants to ask the uncomfortable question about a, a sin pattern in your life, if someone were to ask you to, to share about how do you deal with temptation, or how, what are the sin patterns that you need prayer about, or if someone were to even just bring out a, a, something that they notice and bring it out in a confrontational way to, to help you deal with it, it's so easy for us. It's so easy for us to become uncomfortable or even irritated. Let me ask you this. What are you most sensitive about? Trials or temptations? Which one would you not, rather not have? Trials? Or temptations? Which one are you more afraid of? Trials or temptations? I love what uh, Spurgeon once said earnest Christian men are not so much afraid of trials as of temptations. The great horror of a Christian is sin, not suffering. This morning, let's look at how we should see the reality of temptations through the eyes of faith. Let's look at, at how James encourages us and teaches us to think about temptations. And we're going to look at three dimensions. The first one is the source of temptations, the source of temptations. Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. Some people today might wonder if God is the source of everything, if he is in control of everything and he is the source of everything, is he the source of evil? If he is in control of everything, is he responsible for the temptations we face? 
And the answer is a strong, a strong no. Now let me say this. Occasionally, I still hear people making this argument. If God is a source of everything, then it, He is or must be the source of evil. He is not. That is foolish. According to Scripture, according to how God defines Himself, according to how we know about who God is in regards to temptations and evil, He is not the source of it. Look at the answer James gives us about how we should think of God. God is, or he, God cannot be tempted with evil. In other words, He is untemptable. A temptation is the impulse to sin. Temptation is the impulse to engage in evil. But God does not have that impulse. He is not susceptible to that impulse or to that desire for evil. Temptations have no appeal on God. Therefore, He cannot be tempted to sin. So when we think of who God is, who we should realize that He has no impulse towards evil or sin. And yet, how easy it is for us sometimes to blame God and to shift the blame back on God. How do Christians do that? Well, let me start, let me start with the very beginning of humanity. Remember Adam and Eve? After Adam had sinned and God called him to account, he said, where are you? And says, I'm, I'm here and I'm naked. Now, who told you so? And didn't you eat from the tree that I've told you not to eat? And Adam said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me fruit, the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Friends, the tendency of Adam was to put the blame, to shift the blame not only to the woman, to someone else other than him and, and to the woman, but actually to God himself who gave her to him. Friends, take it to heart and realize that mankind, there is a propensity in us to shift the blame to someone else. Other people, other circumstances, or God himself. Now, how do people blame, if you will, blame God for their decisions? Um, I can tell you examples upon examples, um, but I'll give you just a pattern of how it happens. Um, and, and you can fill in the details. Uh, people would, uh, would be tempted to do something wrong, and they know it's, or they're not, they're not sure is it right or wrong, but something in their minds might tell them it may not be right, and yet they start praying about it. And, uh, and as they start praying about it, they feel stronger to do that which they want to do. And they say, they, after they prayed, and they still feel stronger to do what they want to do, they, they do it. And I would ask them, why did you do it? I prayed about it. And God said to me, it's okay. Even though in His Word, it clearly says no. And friends, that pattern is used to people um, cheating on their spouses and moving on to someone else, that pattern can be used about any context of life. Oh, I prayed about it. God said it's okay. And I'm doing it. We put the blame on God. Friends, take it to heart. God cannot be tempted with evil, 
and he will not tempt you to do anything that's wrong and against his ways as he revealed it in his word. Temptations lead to sin. Temptations invite us to take the path of evil. God would never, ever lead us into such paths. Instead of accusing God or putting the blame on God as a source of temptation, James points to the real source of temptation. The real source of temptation is not outside of ourselves. The real source of temptations are inside of us our own desires. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Oh, friend, how important it is for us to understand this verse. Have you heard people, have you heard people say and use this excuse, the devil made me do it? Oh, friends, according to James, that's not a good answer. The devil did not make you do it. The answer that James gives is that what made you do it is your own desires. The source of temptation is not outside of ourselves. After Adam and Eve fell in disobedience against God, they brought with them the whole human race. And the the nature of mankind, our human nature, is now corrupted. At the very core, we have a propensity, an an innate inclination to actually desire that which is rebellious against God. Because our nature is now, we are inclined towards rebelling against us and His ways. And that inclination, we're born with it. You don't need the devil to to make you sin. You don't need the devil to tempt you. You don't need bad circumstances to tempt you. You don't need bad friends to influence you to do bad things. You don't need to hang around a wrong crowd in order to be tempted. The source of temptation is inside of us. What do you do with that? What do you do with that when you're tempted to find explanations of why you or someone you know has taken the path of, of rebellion? By the way, here's a, a clarification on the word, uh, our own desires. The word for desires uh, has several meanings in the Bible. Sometimes it can be used in a very neutral way to simply refer to deep human longings. Um, in, in, in this a neutral way, or even positive way, Paul used the word to describe his desire to see the Philippians, uh, the Philippian church. He longs to see them. But more often than not, this word is used with a negative feeling to refer to those deep human longings for things which God had prohibited. Most of the time, the word epithemia is used in this negative way. And here James uses it in in this negative way. He's not talking about human desire in general, in in the neutral sense. He's talking about those deeply held human longings for the things which God had prohibited. James says, those deep desires 
are inside of us. You don't need to make the devil make you sin. You don't need other people or circumstances to make you sin. Simply follow the desires of your heart as they lure you and entice you. And here James reveals how utterly deprived our human nature has become. The enemy we battle in our fight against sin is not someone outside of us, but someone right here, inside. Friend, how does this truth help you change your view about your heart? How does this truth help you change and look, think differently about the way you view temptation? And why are you tempted? Why do you feel the pool? And why do you feel drawn to it and actually willing to, to go with a desire? Does it make you realize that the real enemy in battling sin is the corrupt nature of your own heart? My friends, Jesus confirmed this truth when he spoke in, in Mark chapter 7, the passage we've read earlier in the service, when, when Jesus tries to clarify before the Jews and his disciples that in, he says in Mark 7, 20 and 21, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. The Jews thought, and based on the Old Testament laws of, of purification, that things that are on the outside, if they touch external things, they become defiled. And Jesus clarifies, and he says, no, the source of defilement is not the things you touch on the outside. The source of defilement is inside the heart. And Jesus says, for, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy. <laughs> envy. Anytime you envy, where is it coming from? From within. Slander. How about pride and foolishness? Jesus says all these things come from within. Even the Old Testament made this clear. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17.9 said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Friends, who can cleanse us from that kind of heart, from that kind of nature? Who can take it out? Because we can't. Only the grace of God can cleanse us. That's why we have the lyrics of one of the songs, um, grace greater than our sin, grace that cleanse from within. The grace of God is able to cleanse us. The grace of God is able to change those desires, to subdue those desires, and to, and to put in us new inclinations, only the grace of God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, that's why the gospel that we Christians believe, the, the, the news that we declare every Sunday when we gather, every time when we, we meet with others and we engage in conversations, we, and we, our framework of thinking is through this gospel of the, of the grace of God. If you're here this morning and you don't know this gospel of the grace of God, it's a news that God 
the great creator, the holy God, the perfect God, has created everything perfect in his sight, and yet we have rebelled against his word. And because of that, we have, we have triggered upon ourselves his punishment, his righteous judgment against any rebellion against him. We have triggered that upon ourselves. But because of God's grace, because of his love and mercy, he provided a way for our sin to be dealt with, for the payment of our sin to be paid, for the power of sin to be broken, for the stain of sin to be cleansed. And one day, for the presence of sin to be taken away. Now that fourth one has not happened yet. That fourth experience will happen only when Christ shall come again. But the first three have, have happened if we believe in the gospel, if we respond to the gospel by repenting of our sin, by turning away from it and turning to Christ, and turning to God and accepting for ourselves the sacrifice He has provided. And for all those who turn to Him in, in faith and repentance are given this cleansing, are given this, this freeness of the gospel. Oh, friend, if you've never responded to the gospel, I pray that you do so today you may benefit from the cleansing that God is able to do inside our hearts. But if you're like me, you know that we will continue to struggle with those inclinations, with those wanderings of the heart. Until the Lord returns, we will continue to struggle with them. And as a matter of fact, I was telling this someone this week, it is only when we become Christians that we actually start picking up the fight of, of temptations. It is only when we become Christians that sin bothers us and it hurts us and we, we become troubled by it. And the fat battle against temptation is a new battle that we've not had before. Oh, friends, realize that through the gospel, we are told of the true source of temptation. We are told of also the true way in which we can deal with it. But before we talk about how we to deal with temptation and what are the resources God gives us for dealing with our temptations, let's look at the process of temptations. Let's look at the process of temptations. The second thing that James gives us. Look again at verse 14. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. So the starting point of temptation is our own desire. We saw that in the first point. But notice what our desires do to us. Notice what our desires, these, these desires do to us. They lure us and entice us. They lure and entice. Why, why do they have to do that? Why wouldn't they just say, be honest about what it really does, what these, these desires really do to us? They won't tell us what they do to us, but they will lure us. They will entice us, presenting the benefit, just like a bait presents only the part you want, but it doesn't present the hook inside it. It will only have the, the, the part that you see, the part that will feel the, the lure is a part that you desire, the promise of what you will be given if you truly go for it. Oh, friends, realize that our own desires work this enticement in us, this act of luring. 
The best illustration I could give to this is this. It's as if we have an anti-immune disease inside of us that our own desires are trying to catch us. To catch us in the net of sin, in the net of rebellion against God. Our own desires work this act of luring and enticing to catch us against God. We don't need outside sources to do this. Our own body has this autoimmune disease, spiritually speaking. And when the luring wins, when the enticement has conquered over us, when we give in to the enticement, it gives birth to sin. Look at verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Oh, friends, we cannot eradicate our sinful desires from inside our hearts. But if we let them lure us and entice us, if we allow them to linger and, to, and we give them a free pass, those desires do give birth to sin inside of us. <laughs> giving birth to sin. Friends, it doesn't refer to merely giving birth to action. In the Bible, according to the Bible, sin exists before action. Sin exists inside of us before we act on it. Once we give in to those sinful desires, once the lure has done its work and the desire has been conceived, the desire to actually sin has been conceived in us, sin has been born. Sin begins once we give in to these sinful desires. When we give in to the desire that has lured us, now, let me, let me say something about this luring. In order to lure us, it will only present the part we want. It will only present the positive. And just like the bait and the hook work, it will not present us the destination of, or what is behind, what's the consequences. It will only present the immediate benefit. I love what Sam Storm said, the focus of Satan's effort is always the same, to deceive us into believing that the passing pleasures of sin are more satisfying than obedience. The lure will always present itself positively. But notice the second half of verse 15. Notice the process. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, it's surprising that James uses the metaphor of birth, to this, of growing, and of dying to use or to describe the process of temptation. If we look at the whole process, it starts with the birth of sin, with the growth of sin, and ends with the death of the sinner. The cycle of sin. People call on God to help them in the midst of the temptation. And have you noticed have you ever experienced, you may call on God in the midst of the temptation, and nothing happens. You still fall for it. You still do it. You know why? Because you're asking God just to help you with the action. 
when in reality the sin has already been birthed in your desires. You're not asking God to help you with the desires. You're just asking God to help you with the action. Sin, however, is birthed inside of us before we act on it. Those sinful desires. I love what someone said, and I don't know who said this. Sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you, than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. The process of temptation begins with a desire, is birthed there. It grows, and it brings death. Oh, friends, realize, realize that when this process, when we give in to the desires of sin, the action and the consequence is inevitable. But how, what resources do we have to face against it? How can we stand against the, the, the desires of these, the, these desires that, that battle inside of us, the, the lures, the enticement? We should battle sin not simply at the level of the action. We should battle sin at the level where it is conceived, at the level of the desires. That's where the big battle is. Sometimes we think the battle is only, only for the things we can see, only in the actions. Oh, no, friends. The battle is where it begins, the battle of the desires. Well, let's look at the, the resources that James tells us about as, as we um, should face these temptations, and face them well. James gives us warning about being deceived in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. The danger of deception. Amazing. Even among believers, we might be deceived about how temptations work in us. We might be deceived about the process of temptations. So James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And then he, he moves on to verse 8, 17 and 18 to focus positively on who God is and what He has done for us, especially as an encouragement for us to face temptations. Verse 17, James gives a picture of the resources uh, that God gives us. Look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And earlier in the, in, the, in the chapter, in verse 4, James spoke about the desire that, that we should be complete, we should be perfect. Trials, when we face them, when we endure through trials, trials build endurance, and endurance, when it completes its work, makes us perfect, mature. The same word James uses now here to describe every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above from God. What comes from Him is every good gift and every perfect gift. How, does, how, does, how should this help us in battling temptations, in, 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 in dealing with the luring, the enticements of the, of the sinful desires inside of us? Well, think of it this way. Do you seek something good for your life? Are you pursuing the, the perfect experience for your life? James says, the source of that is God. The good, the perfect gift comes from Him, not from your desires or from what, what your desires would lure you into, what your desires would promise you to give. Seeking good and perfect, 
the good and perfect life is not by acting upon your sinful desires. It is by acting in faith against your luring and enticing desires. Don't seek these perfect and good experiences, these good gifts and perfect gifts. Don't seek them apart from God. Don't seek them where God is not. Don't seek them in places where God is not. Don't seek them in people where God is not present. Students or young, young ones, if you're single, don't think about pursuing the good and perfect gift in a relationship with a person who does not have God inside of them. Don't. Don't even try. The good and perfect gift comes from above. Don't seek the good and perfect in that which doesn't have God inside of them. Every good gift come from, comes from God. Some of you are seeking the good gifts, the perfect gifts, in experiences where God is absent. You might be seeking it in places or experiences where you're not allowing God or even other Christians to hold you accountable. Friends, that alone should give you a red flag. If you are not open to have those experiences be scrutinized by God himself or by God's people, that should be a red flag. You're seeking the good and the perfect gift from some other place. And you are in the process of being lured. If not, you have already been enticed into it. Watch out. Don't be deceived. Friends, where do you turn to in seeking for the good and perfect gifts in this life? To whom do you turn to? Friends, realize God desires what is good for you. He desires what is perfect for you. And He desires to perfect you. Now, you may not have the same image of perfection and good and perfect gift for yourself as God has it. I understand. But realize this, and don't be deceived. God determines what is ultimately good for us. And if you don't accept that, then you might actually want to put yourself above God in trying to discern and determine what is best for you. Realize God is perfect. God is the Father. And James goes on and says, He is the Father of lights. In Him there's no variation. There's no oscillation. He will not be better tomorrow than today. You know why? Because that means He's not good enough today. He cannot be better tomorrow than He's today, nor can He be worse tomorrow than He's today. You know why? Because that would make Him to be less tomorrow than He's today. In Him, there's no oscillation. He is constant. And there's not even a shadow due to change in Him. Not even a shadow. Oh, friends, go to the bank with that promise of who God is. He knows what's best for you and me. And He wants to desire and to give good gifts to Him. Realize the source of the good gifts is God, is, a, is coming from above. Realize, dear friends, that whenever we are tempted to act apart from God, we're actually changing our focus from His beauty, from His perfection, from His goodness. And we're saying, no, I, I'm going to determine that for me. 
It's your saying, I am able to paint a more beautiful picture for myself than God is able to do it for me. Well, friends, it's easy. It's easy to make big promises that will not deliver. We see that in the election campaign these days, don't we? If you think and if you're going to start believing all the promises of the, of, of the president, and I'm not talking about one particular candidate, I'm talking about all of them. It is so easy to just go for what they promise, but they won't deliver. They, they might deliver some, but not all. Oh, friends, don't be fooled by the promise. When it comes to sin, sin will promise you that you'll have a great life. That you're going to have a great life. God says, and God is the one who not only says you will have a great life, but he will deliver it to the, in the very end. What you get with sin is death. Not the death of sin, but your death. What you get with God is the death of sin and your life. Realize that. An example of, of what the Father of lights has done for us, of His perfect and good gifts, is what He says in verse 18. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. Oh, friends. You know how powerful this verse is? Especially on the backdrop of what James has been saying. He has used the, the imagery of birth to describe the pattern of sin and temptation inside of us, right? Just a few verses earlier. Now he's describing to us another birth. Not the birth of sin, but the birth of a new life. A birth that, that God causes in us. James says, of his own will. And James puts this at the beginning of this verse to emphasize God of his own will caused us or brought us forth. It's the same verb, the same idea of, as, as used for giving birth. He, by his own will, he brought us forth. He gave us birth by the word of truth. Oh, friends, how is this new birth coming to us? Yes, it is willed by God, by his own will, but it comes to us by his the word of his truth. The means by which a new birth is caused in us is a proclamation of the gospel. When we hear the truth of God, the that truth work in us, works in us, and the Spirit uses that to bring us to life, to open our eyes, to make us our hearts see and to hear and to, to be enable our hearts to respond to Him. Now, friends, I will leave verse 18 to next Sunday for Easter Sunday. That's what we'll be approaching on, verse 18 of James. So I will, I will lead that. I'll talk more about that next week. But realize that James gives, here, gives us an example of one of the good and perfect gifts that God gives us. He gives us new life. And, it's, and, and through this life, we're born into this new life. It's not a birth to, to death. It's a birth to life. For what purpose? That we would be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. First fruits. First fruits. Were the first things in the ancient times, in the Old Testament days, the first fruits of the harvest. They were the promise 
that the harvest is coming, that the harvest will be there. Here, James says, God makes us, brought us forth, that we might be the first fruits. Oh, friends, do you realize that while sin lures us, I'm sorry, while temptations um, and, and the desires lure us so we might give into temptation, so that birth, so that desire to, to sin is birthed in us, and we, we start acting on it and grows in us, and eventually it leads to death. All that versus God, by His own will, brought us forth by the word of truth, so we might be the first fruits of His creatures. Do you see the goodness of God? Do you see how he's, he's reversing the very opposite of the pattern that temptation works in us? He's doing the very opposite in his goodness and perfection for us. Oh, friend, I pray that you realize and recognize that the fight against temptation is serious. At the beginning of the sermon, I started off with the observation that our culture does not take temptation seriously. We use the word temptation so loosely, having lost the meaning of it. Having gone through this text of James, we see how seriously James thinks about temptations. And we can make the following observation. Why isn't our culture taking temptation seriously? Because it doesn't take sin seriously. Why doesn't our culture take sin seriously? Because it doesn't take God seriously. It doesn't take the consequences that God declared for sin. We don't take those seriously. When you don't take God seriously, you won't take sin seriously. And you won't take temptations seriously. Friends, people who take temptations lightly are people who take God lightly. Be sure of that. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the truth and the mercy and the grace you give us to expose, to give us a, an x-ray of how temptation works inside of us, to, to help us see that the source of temptation is, is inside our very hearts. Oh God, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon our hearts. Have mercy upon the sinfulness of our nature, the corruptedness of our nature. Oh, Lord, we pray that by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you would eradicate, you would cleanse us of that nature. You would cleanse us of our hearts. Give us new hearts. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would give us a desire to fight against the impulses of the old nature that still stays in us. And Father, until we die, until the day you call us home, we pray, would you equip your people with the strength we need, with the seriousness we need to face temptations with the grace you give us. Help us to see them in their seriousness. Help us to see them in, their, in, the, in, the, in the gravity of their consequences. Father, help us to see them with the resources you give us. Help us to see you your beauty, your goodness, and help us to pursue your beauty and goodness as opposed to the lures that temptation may give us. 
Father, we pray that if there's people here this morning who have not yet turned their backs against sin, oh Lord, we pray, would you call them? Would you work in them the miracle of the new birth and, and give them the desire and the enabling to respond to you in faith and repentance so they may turn away from sin and turn to you in faith? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.